This is Meeting and Exceeding, a podcast where we talk to thought leaders in the early education space about the NQF, EYLF and everything in between. Welcome back to Meeting and Exceeding. I'm Jack and with me, I was going to say as always, but I guess it's only the the second real episode is Kiang. And we are part of Ona, a childcare software provider who's on a mission to learn more about early education by talking to some thought leaders in the space. This week, we'll be talking a bit about early intervention. And we interviewed someone called Ed Johnson, who is a real thought leader in this space. He's a senior speech pathologist, um, and also a co-founder of a social enterprise that tries to get families access to these services in rural Australia. So we really enjoyed this conversation with Ed, and I know you did, especially Kiang. I did. Um, I personally really enjoyed this conversation with Ed, and I think a lot of our listeners, uh, especially educators out there, would too. Ed talks about the stigma of uh, developmental delays. He touches on early intervention, and how to get help um, earlier on rather than rather than um, waiting, so to speak. Um, and he also touches on how difficult it can be as well, getting access to some of the services out there. Yeah, and I think before we go into that, I think a um, bit of a disclaimer on my part. So I currently volunteer with, with Ed's social enterprise, Umbo. Um, so, of course, I was a fan of, of Ed before even talking to to him on on this show um, and I'm a huge advocate for for the work he does and to talk about early intervention a bit from my own experiences so I had a stutter growing up and um, you know this isn't some kind of sob story <laughs> I just want to mention kind of so Ed's approach is it's called the person-centered approach and it's basically a a way of looking at therapy from the clinician's point of view as I'm not going to turn around and say, well, I want this person to say X amount of clear sentences or pronounce that the S's perfectly or say a certain number of words by the age of three. It's about looking at the family and looking at the, the individual who needs help and kind of coming in with op- open arms and saying, well, what? do you want to achieve? Um, so with my own experiences, I, I, I had a therapist who just kind of gave me cards and was like, say these words. And I said them fine, because I was in a situation where it's right there and I was just reading it. And she said, oh, well, he doesn't have a, have a stutter. Um, so I was sent away and then I was brought back and I got a new therapist who used this person-centered approach. And with the approach you, you kind of find out why something's happening so with mine it was mainly just like me nerves which is weird how i'm talking on a podcast now but um but yeah so I'd, i had this little black book where whenever we went in the shop i had to go up to the shopkeeper um, and ask for the you know the products or whatever it is you are buying and then I had to write down what what was good about it what was bad about it and like to not judge myself um, and by the, by the time I finished therapy, yeah, I still had a stutter, um, but I felt a lot better about it. And that I think that was the most important thing about kind of working towards your goals and not these kind of arbitrary goals that someone put, put puts in, in place for you. 
So I think this conversation with Ed's going to dispel a lot of stereotypes with developmental delay, therapy, um, speech delay, and certain uh, support needs and things like that. So let's jump straight into it and we'll hear from Ed himself. So we're, uh, we're joined here by Ed, Ed Johnson, who is a co-founder of Umbo, uh, 2018 Speech Pathologist of the Year, Chairman of the Board of SARA, the Rural Allied Health Board, um, PhD candidate, 2021 Westpac Scholar. Have I, have I, have I missed anything? Uh, yeah, that's plenty. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought that, that would em- embarrass you a bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess just in, introduce yourself um, if you can. Th- thanks a lot for coming. And, um, yeah, just let, let everyone know who you are and how yeah. you got here. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm Ed Johnson and I'm a speech pathologist and I've been working as a speech pathologist for 10 years now. Uh, I have worked all my career in rural and remote areas, um, trying to help um, predominantly people with disabilities and mental illnesses uh, with their communication and um, uh, speech pathologists also help with um, safe eating and drinking because we know all about head and neck and all that kind of thing. So that kind of falls in our remit. So I do a bit of that too. Um, In 2018, I I co-founded Umbo, as you said, Jack, and and we are a a digital uh, health service provider. We provide services to people, mainly in rural and remote areas, to get them services where they couldn't get services before. Uh, we do um, speech pathology and occupational therapy. So um, speech pathology is, uh, like I said, communication and eating, drinking. Um, occupational therapy is uh, about the basically learning how to um, for kids, learning how to play, um, learning um, how to run, jump, catch, throw, write, uh, read, um, all those kinds of things, like play skills that turn into life skills later on. Uh, and and within an adult context, that's more things like um, learning how to uh, plan to spend your money, learning how to move safely around if you have mobility issues, um, learning how to to process sensory experiences um, uh, safely and and comfortably, yeah. So obviously Umbo works primarily in rural areas. So I guess obviously we kind of touched on I think we'll probably know why, just in terms of the excess waiting times, but what is the general experience that a rural family would typically face compared to, say, a family in Met, Met, like Metro Sydney or Melbourne? Yeah, so um, uh, allied health is is very broad kind of a term and, and a term that a lot of people don't necessarily recognise, but allied health, uh, I'll just say to start off with, because I'll keep using the term, is basically um, uh, health professionals who aren't nurses or doctors. Uh, so it's it's very broad, and um, 
you know, a lot of people dispute who is allied health and who isn't, but um, for the purposes of, of this, we'll say it's not nurses or doctors. So there's a lot of different professions in that. There's physio, OT, speech, um, psychology, pharmacy, and it means we have a very diverse workforce um, and some of those disciplines have very small workforces. Uh, the further out west you go, if you're on the east coast at least, uh, the further out west you go, the, the fewer uh, people in each of those disciplines we have. So uh, it's much more difficult for people to get services. Uh, and when they, when there are services around, it, it, there's usually a long waiting list. So there's, um, in Western New South Wales, there's waiting lists around about 18 months. That's a typical wait, wait time to see uh, you know, a speech pathologist or an OT. And if you're talking about early intervention, um, so, you know, you, there's a there's an issue identified with the child and, and mum and dad really want help with speech, OT, physio, whatever it might be. Um, that child's three years old That's um, and you're waiting 18 months. That's another 50% of their lifetime that they're waiting for that, that service. Uh, so that's really critical. And the, the literature says that the earlier you get in to help those people, the better. So... Uh, there's huge distances that people have to travel. There are huge um, uh, barriers in terms of funding. Uh, people don't have a lot of money. Often, um, uh, you know, they come from low, low socioeconomic um, backgrounds. Often um, there's, there's a, a disproportionate amount of, of low socioeconomic background in, in rural uh, Australia as compared with metro areas. So it means that you know, we've got kind of this this perfect storm of uh, barriers that people are facing with, you know, a, a lack of workforce or an unskilled workforce or, you know, huge waiting times, big travel times and, and you know, often not enough money uh, for them to be able to pay for a service even if it is there. Uh, Ed, is, has there been a push from the government to get more professionals out there um, rather than just obviously focusing on the metro areas. We know the rural areas are underfunded, uh, under-resourced, um, a whole lot more than that. But is there is there any initiatives from the governments to, to get more professionals out there? I think there's um, there's a few there's a few kind of smaller initiatives to to try to promote um, early childhood development in these areas. But, but there's no systematic kind of nationwide approach to uh, trying to improve the allied health workforce, um, you know, or grow the allied health workforce so that there are people out there who can, um, who can service families. Uh, there, in, in terms of funding mechanisms, there's the, the NDIS, which provides people funding to access these kinds of services. Uh, but a big barrier to that is um, people's knowledge of the NDIS. Um, some people don't even know the NDIS exists. Uh, they might have a child with a disability and um, they also might uh, be in an area where there aren't any services, uh, so they can't spend that money that they've been given by the government to, to spend on these kinds of services. Uh, they, they might not be aware that um, there are digital platforms like like Umbo uh, or others, which can provide services remotely. Uh, there's also a, a sort of um, a bit of uh, 
I suppose a, a great a great opportunity for for solution in terms of uh, building up an allied health assistant workforce where you might have someone who's a certificate qualified uh, uh, health professional in a community who is working under the the direction and support of a number of different allied health professions who can help coach people in their community uh, about you know they can coach them through therapy they can give them therapeutic supports in in that context without there having to be someone there so uh but it's not systematically funded by the government and um uh, there's uh you know some important advocacy work that is being done um over over many years which is is slowly raising the profile of, of allied health i'd say because uh, so much of the funding goes into gps and nursing uh, but they're not recognizing the fact that we can uh, prevent uh, allied health prevents illness and um, and disability and uh, prevents you know disability becoming a, a bigger impact on people's lives so the the knowledge amongst government about the fact that allied health can do that and the role that they play in um, prevention or uh, mitigation of, of disability is um, something that is increasing but isn't quite there yet but once it gets there I reckon we'll get a more um, kind of uh, systematic approach to, to funding and, 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 and supporting um, allied health service provision. Yeah so where do kind of people in the community and in particular early childhood educators where do they fit into this kind of early childhood, early intervention stage? Mm. Yeah, good question. Uh, I see early childhood educators as being uh, the kind of they're they're the experts in that that child's life uh, to an extent. I mean, you know, there's parents there as well, but often as as therapists, we're working directly with early early childhood educators. We're working with them because they know so much about uh, the overall development of the child. They know what the child likes. They know how they make friends. Um, they know how to uh, implement, you know, developmental uh, supports for, for these kids. Uh, they, they can uh, be there uh, on a consistent basis to monitor how they're going and, um, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses and the successes and failures that that, that child's having. So at UMBO, we, we take a, um, a coaching approach and um, that works through uh, the therapist coaching a key worker. So a key worker um, could be an, an early childhood educator, um, someone working in class with that child, and, and then we would coach them uh, in the identified area that that child needed support in. And then rather than it being, you know, half an hour a week that this child's doing therapy, it's many, many hours a week because that early childhood educator then has the skills specifically in that, you know, that specific area, say whether, you know, as a speech pathologist, I might um, try to teach some, um, some sign language to a child if they're if their um, speech or their verbal language isn't developing um, as quickly as others, then I might coach the early childhood educator in that and then they might be able to use that all week with that child uh, to uh, help that child in their context, help, you know, reduce frustration, get clearer communication happening between everyone. But also what it's doing is upskilling the early childhood educator 
because then they might see another child and say, hey, this kid's getting frustrated too because no one understands him. Let's try a couple of signs with this kid. Lo and behold, um, you get some successes there and the child gets less frustrated and um, then you've got uh, more skills in that context. So the fact that early childhood educators are there um, and, and supporting consistently uh, and have such a great understanding of the individual situation of the child is just vital. Uh, Ed, on the on the topic of early intervention, obviously you know there are there are parents out there, there are educators out there who you know sometimes go down the path of let's see how they go, let's see how they develop, let's give them another six months, twelve months, whatever the case might be. What is your experience in terms of uh, early intervention compared to say waiting six, twelve, twenty four months from now? Like what do you see as a side effect if you wait long compared to you know? getting in there early and, and, and rectifying the, the issue? Yeah, well the, well, the literature says it all, really. It, um, it basically says the earlier you get in there to start helping, uh, the better the outcomes, in not just in the short term, but, but really in the long term. Because uh, from my uh, experience as a speech pathologist, if we're talking about something like a speech sound disorder that's, that starts showing itself, you know, at, at one and a half, two years of age, then um, that person might not get intervention until they're five at school. They might not then then fall behind with reading and writing and, and literacy stuff because it's close, closely connected to, to your speech sound production. Uh, and then they might get to high school and they're still a little bit behind. So they, you know, they disengage. They, you know, they focus more on, you know, causing trouble or stirring things up because they're not kind of really engaging in class because they're still at that little bit of a step behind. Uh, so it really is a, a kick-on effect from, from when you are very young, uh, when you when you encounter these kinds of developmental issues. And and that, to me, says that, um, you know, that, that says how it, important it is to be able to uh, get to these issues early. And, and that's not to say that we need to go around labeling everyone and say, you've got, you've got a problem, you've got a problem, you've got a problem. We can't do that, especially if we don't have the people there to support them. Um, if we, if we go around and, and give people a whole lot of tests and say, you've got a problem and then there's no one, there's no speech therapist there to, to help, uh, then we've done them a disservice. But I think, um, the coaching method that I told you about before, uh, that that really gets um, the people around the child who are around them every day to be more uh, aware of those kinds of issues and have some strategies at least, um, if even if they're not specifically targeted to that child, uh, to be able to continue their development while they wait for services if they do have a longer waiting period. Uh, but I would say... Um, get in there and and start working with someone as early as you can uh, because that's where you're going to have the, the most impact. So on the topic of identifying the developmental delays, what advice would, would you give to educators who maybe are thinking, well, I don't really know much and I don't even know much about, about the services that, that are offered? And maybe kind of not feeling well placed to to refer or confident to refer. What advice would you give to them in terms of aid in that process and kind of being a bit more confident with it? Mm. 
Um, I think there's uh, there's there's some really good resources that you can get online. There's checklists of developmental milestones. Uh, there's also apps you can use on your phone that are um, probably even easier. And if you know it's a younger younger worker, then often they're a bit more tech savvy, or you know tech is a bit more attractive to them. So you can look up, uh, for example, the Center for D- Disease Control uh, milestone checklists um, from the US. It is a US um, app and a US checklist, but it, it's still relevant to, to Aussie kids as well, um, and, and plenty of kids around the place because it's it's not kind of it's only up to about um, five years that they usually go. Uh, so. That's a really useful thing to have. You can go through there and it'll, you can tick boxes and it'll tell you if that, that person's on track or not. Um, and then it usually gives you suggestions of what you can do to keep them on track or get them on track. Um, so it doesn't necessarily say, you know, you've got to know about physio, you've got to know about speech, you've got to know about OT. Uh, and then you've got to know what each one of those per- people does, and then you've got to know if your child, if they're having difficulties with uh, whatever it is, um, running, jumping, toileting, anything like that, then who do I refer to and how do I refer to them? Uh, basically, it means that you just go through this checklist, you've got some strategies there at the end um, to help them through it, and then I would recommend um, talking with, with the director at, at the Early Childhood Service uh, because they usually have a, a wealth of experience in um, tracking the development of kids. Uh, they're often the people who are helping to fill out and analyse um, developmental checklists at the start of the year as well to track kids' goals and, and track kids' development. Um, but if you if you want to learn more as a, an individual, I would say that the CDC uh, milestone tracker is, is a really good place to start. Yeah. And then, so in terms of referring to the services, obviously that like like that's some great advice for educators. But in your line of work with online therapy, how would you kind of approach someone who maybe didn't wasn't aware of the efficacy of telehealth, as people call it? Yeah. Uh... It's, it's a conversation that we, we have to have uh, continuously and um, that's, that's fine because it's a thing that's new in a lot of people's lives. And uh, what I usually do with, with people who I work with is that I, um, I have that conversation on the phone. I might say, you know, this is, this is the service we provide. Um, this is usually how we do it. You know, I talk about the coaching model and using key workers to, to coach them so that they can work directly with the child and support them directly. Uh, and then make sure that uh, I can answer any questions about how it actually works. So there are um, practice guidelines um, that, that are published in the, the literature about what a successful telepractice service is. And that, uh, and they include going through a, a proof of concept uh, phase with with the people with the clients uh, which is you know talking through this is how it works this is how I use it in your situation this might be what we do uh, and this is the kind of goal that we're looking for so it um, 
uh, it's a collaboration and um, uh, an ongoing kind of, um, I suppose, open conversation about the uh, the strengths and limitations in that particular circumstance with that particular client that uh, that helps to allay a lot of those fears in most cases of them. On the topic of telehealth, uh, Ed, um, is there obviously it's different from seeing someone face to face? Like, what are the challenges for you in terms of doing stuff online on, on a Zoom session compared to say face to face with the with the patient, so to speak? Uh, so it's it's tricky to start with usually because a lot of people think about it as kind of just plonking someone down in front of the screen and then me trying to do the therapy directly with them and especially you know the younger you get with your with your clients the more difficult that is to do so that's um that's something that's a challenge that people kind of immediately bring up they say you know how do you get them to sit down uh, but usually what I'm doing is trying to um, view the surroundings look at the context where where they are you know so if they've um, so if, if you've identified the, the child's, you know, their their play skills aren't fantastic and they can't introduce themselves to children at, at preschool, what I might do with you is I might get you on the video, I might talk to you and I might try to figure out, you know, that, okay, that's the issue. And then what we might do then is we might pick up the laptop or the iPad or whatever and we might follow the child around the room and see what they're doing. Uh, so doing things creatively like that and, and coaching people rather than trying to um, keep the, keep people sat down there. Um, that's kind of one of the, challenge, the challenges that I've faced and solved um, in, in most cases. But I think it's really attitudinal um, challenges that are, that are the hardest. Um, we can solve the kind of the logistical stuff, you know, seeing where someone is in the room or keeping them seated or that kind of thing with help at the other end. Uh, but it really is that, that, you know, if people come to um, telepractice with an open mind about what we can do and how we can do it together and, and getting involved rather than just thinking of it as a screen-to-screen interaction, uh, as simple as that, then then usually we get through most of those those challenges. But really it is, um, uh, it, it can be a little bit isolating. It can be... Uh, it can be difficult to understand understand people's communities as much as you would if you were there in person. Uh, so as much as I can, I try to make sure that I, you know, I, I do discover the community with them and I, I do um, talk with them about, you know, where they're from and where I'm from and, and try to connect with them on that, that human basis that you really get with an in-person service. Yeah, I think you've you've definitely you've definitely sold telehealth to um, to a lot of people. I feel um, if you could leave educators with one tip in the realm of early intervention, what what would it be? Um, don't don't wait to refer and don't wait to start helping your kids if there isn't a therapist therapist around. There are heaps of resources, like I think the, the CDC uh, milestone checker that gives you the tips about what to do. Get in there and do some stuff with your kids uh, if you're if you're worried at all about their their development. So um, play with them directly. 
um, talk with them on their level and, um, you know, make sure that you're giving them as many opportunities as, as you can to have new experiences uh, wherever you're working, whether that's, uh, you know, playing, playing with different kids, uh, doing different kind of arts and crafts, different sensory experiences, uh, communicating with different people. Get them out there and get them experiencing as many different things as you can. It, um, before I let you go, um, is there a stigma in terms of um, um, a, a child's uh, de- developmental delay, so to speak? Obviously, they talk about stigma, stigma with mental health and, and whatnot. Do you see that with 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 um, with uh, a childhood's development as well, in terms of parents not admitting to it or afraid or, or you know um, ashamed of it and so forth? Do you see that? Yeah, every day, every day, I see that. Um, there's, we, we have so little understanding, I think, you know, in the general community about what developmental delays are and, and how they happen. And that's um, a, a big part of the work that I do when I'm working with early intervention clients, trying to um, talk with the family about the fact that it is not their fault. It's, uh, it isn't their fault and these things happen. And and one one interesting statistic uh, from a speech pathology point of view is that one in five kids starts primary school with some sort of communication delay or disorder or having had some sort of communication delay or disorder. That's a huge number. That's 20% of the population. So uh, if, if, you, if you're worried, if you're um, a parent who's... Um, you know, concerned about anything at all, it, uh, it, it's best to get help. It's best to kind of, um, you know, let us know uh, because we can't help you otherwise. Uh, it's, it is a, a traumatic thing for a lot of parents and, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a speech disorder, whether it's, a, a, you know, a, a medical diagnosis of, you know, some sort of a, um, disability, uh, cerebral palsy, or, or Down syndrome, or something like that. There's there's a there's a grieving process that goes through that uh, the parents go through, where they where they do blame them, themselves, but um, it, it's not their fault, and it's um, it's really important for them to to be able to be confident enough to to come and ask for help, and um, yeah, allied health are, are, are there to help, and and so are early childhood educators and. <laughs> Um, the the best thing you can do is is to reach out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, uh, for for speaking to us. I think educators and families alike will get so much so much value from this. Um, if someone was to be looking for some advice or some help from either Umbo or or yourself, where would they need need to go? Sure. Uh, you can jump on our website at umbo.com.au uh, or email us at hello at umbo.com.au. Uh, uh, on our website, uh, you can look at our training packages if you're a clinician or early childhood worker. You can also have a look at um, referrals and, and getting in touch with us about therapy. Uh, if you're a parent or someone who's looking to refer someone to our services. Perfect. Well, f- thanks so much, Ed, for, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ed, for joining Thank me. Thank you.
So that was our conversation with Ed. Um, as always, I hope you got a lot of value from that. I know we did. Um, especially you, Kiang. I think you loved when Ed was talking about the the stigma and kind of it's sad, sad to see how many people are feel feeling that kind of way. Yeah, Ed touches on the stigma around develop, developmental delays. So, um, you know, obviously, as a parent, um, you know, no one should ever feel ashamed um, about it. Um, it's not their fault, as as Ed mentioned. Um, at the same time, yeah, don't delay. Don't delay in terms of um, seeking help if you can. Early intervention, what Ed mentioned, is the uh, the best cure, so to speak. Get in, get in early, get it done now. So that that was my take from it, and I I, I appreciate what Ed had to say there. Yeah, and I, and and I think also from the point of the point of view of parents is one thing, and then the point of view of educators is very similar because I guess you both see those kids every day and for the majority of the day. And so, I mean, sometimes the, the, the educators can know more than, than the parents because they're spending more time with the kids, especially if, you know, parents are working long hours and stuff. And I really like the thought of Ed's approach around coaching. Like it really brings the educators in, into play um, a lot more than I guess people would assume from therapy. Um, you know, I think the the approach Ed takes with collaborating with educators, I really hope this. I know it's starting to, to catch on a bit in the in the therapy space, but I really, I would love to see that approach kind of go a bit more mainstream and be part of every education service and every ther- therapy practice. So, um, I really do encourage educators um to get in touch with Umbo and with Ed. Um, I'll put all the contact details there in the show notes, and we'll also put the. CDC documents that Ed mentioned um, around intervention because we know that obviously it's not always the case that a therapist is available, especially in these rural areas. Um, so yeah, we'll drop those in the in the show notes. And again, we hope you got some value from this and we'll see you guys next week where we'll be talking to Lisa Bryant around the budget that's coming out and kind of policy and NQF compliance and things like that. So, um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week.